ladies and gentlemen, to the Peak Endurance Podcast with your host, Isabel Ross. As a personal trainer, accredited endurance coach, and now podcast host, Isabel is bringing you the best advice, tips, and tricks for your health and athletics. She's won two Australian Trail Championships, a 24-hour track race, and many, many more races, as well as participated in the notorious Barkley Marathons. So she knows her stuff. And now, since she's raced all over the world, she's bringing all that knowledge and giving it to you so you can become a better performer as a whole. So make sure to continue to tune into the Peak Endurance Podcast to get your body right, your mind right, and your health on point. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Episode 133 is an interview with Nikki Langman, author of the book, How to Be a Badass, Navigating Your Road to Self-Mastery. This book is a personal journey of how she freed herself from decades of addiction, became an ultra-endurance runner after the age of 40, and propelled herself to unimaginable heights in every area of her life and career using her badass framework that she created and the fundamentals of emotional intelligence. In this book that she talks about today, she shares her badass framework with you, the reader, and demonstrates how you can apply the same principles in your personal and professional life every day to get the results you want consistently. Increase your courage and confidence, deepen your authenticity, take more purposeful action, lead more effectively, and manifest love and respect for yourself at all times. Nikki has an amazing story as and is incredibly inspirational. I don't know why that's hard to say, it just is. And I'm sure you will love this chat. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred listening platform so you know as soon as a new episode is out. Did you know that your mindset is the gateway to unlocking your fullest athletic and performance potential? You have followed the training program to the letter. You're feeling the fittest, fastest and healthiest you've ever felt. And yet you are so strung out by nerves and negative self-talk that you fall apart on race day. Sound familiar? If so, one-on-one mindset coaching may be for you. I work with you one-on-one to develop your emotions and mindset to support your goals. This one-on-one coaching is conducted over Zoom and recorded for your benefit and for you to keep, designed to specifically suit your needs of developing a peak performance mindset and approach to running. I only work with limited clients at a time as it is a highly personalized service. So I recommend quickly getting onto my website, peakendurancecoaching.com.au and filling out the form to get yourself on the waiting list. Enjoy this chat with Nikki. It's Tom here. I'm back with some more thoughts. And today I wanted to go a bit into about perspective on our running and remembering kind of where we come from. Um, recently I've been training with a really good friend of mine and she's training for GSCR 100 and I've been watching her progress and get faster and better and mentally tougher and physically better and stronger but she's so hard on herself and she often doesn't see how far she's really come uh, in the moment and as someone who's coming from the outside um, seeing how much she's improved um, it's a little sad that during the process sometimes they're not um, maybe enjoying it as much as they could and aren't as nice themselves as they should be in realising how much progress they made and made me think we should all kind of look back of where we started and how quick or not so quick our improvements have been made and kind of respect them and give ourselves a pat on the back. We're so hard on ourselves uh, all the time and I think it's something an exercise just to get some pressure off and to help you enjoy 
um, the process more, just to remember where you come from. And yeah, I've really realized just training with someone else, the difference, um, you know, that we don't acknowledge and how faster we become or better. And I think it's important we do. Anyway, that's just my thoughts this week. So you like running, but you're feeling pain or irritation. You can't enjoy it like you once did. Or worse, your performance has taken a big hit. Now you're reminiscing on the good times or the wind blew past your ears. Nature looked lovely as you passed it. What are you waiting for? Go and visit a specialist at Health and High Performance. With the latest in technology and a wealth of experience, the team at Health and High Performance can help you with all your running injury and performance needs. Let's get you back to doing something you love with the results you're capable of. Head over to healthhp.com.au slash run or you can find them on Instagram at Health High Performance. Health and High Performance are located in Mount Albert, Melbourne but are available for telehealth appointments not only Australia-wide but also around the world. So contact them now on their website to find out more. Hi Nikki and welcome to the podcast. Hi as well. Thanks for having me. No worries. Now normally I start the podcast off asking um, you to tell a little bit about yourself but I don't want to get into that quite yet because that's quite a detailed story. So how about first of all you let the listeners know how maybe how we met, the story behind that one. Um, and there is a good story behind that one as well. Yes. Um, so this year in February of 2021 I tried my hand at something way out of my comfort zone. And that was participating in the Archie, which was a 50 kilometer race um, up in Mount Bola. Um, And this was my only second trail race that I had ever done. The first being um, two bays, which was in Uh, January the month before. Completely different. Completely different. And I am a newer runner as well, but we'll talk more about that. Um, but I've only been running for a few years and, and decided I really wanted to try something really outside of my comfort zone and see how I handled it. So participated in the Archie and, you know, first 15, 20, 30 kilometers was all pretty good. And, uh, and then I, I learned what sweepers were, <laughs> how green I was to, to the running, uh, the running world, especially, you know, trail races. I had no idea what a sweeper was, but as it was, um, Isabel and some of her colleagues, co- co-workers, co-volunteers That's caught up with me. And um, because I was the very last one on the course, and unfortunately I did not finish, but that's okay. It was, you know, I did it. Um, yeah, I got there. Learning I, experience. Learning experience. Yeah. And now I've just got something, um, you know, even better to aim for. But we got into some fantastic conversation there mm-hmm. as we were kind of, you know, just picking up the, um, the end of the race. And, you know, I think I started, I started to slow down and take the pressure off myself when I saw that I wasn't going to finish anyway. So might as well just hang out, chat and get to know some new people. So that was the start of our, our relationship, our friendship there. That's right. Yeah. And I know I remember um, hearing a little of your story and I was really interested because you were telling me you're putting out a book yeah. and, um, and I just love the title of the book. I'm going to I'm going to hold it up now for people. Oh, no, you can't really see it with this background. How to be a badass. Now, I thought that was really an interesting title and, um, and I love the concept. So and um, you, sent, you sent me a copy of the book, obviously, and I've, I've read practically all of it. Um, it's, a, it's a 
cracking read. Like I loved it. Um, as in, it's a great story, but it's also a hard story to read, certainly your earlier life. Um, and, and because you share a lot of personal stories in, in the, this book, can you give the listeners just a few details of what life was like for you? Yeah, so um, in, in the beginning of the book, I, I lay it very bare and very mm. honestly, and I talk about my history in drug and alcohol addiction. Um, so in fact, I start the book by talking about my first, the first drink that I ever remember having, which was at seven years old. Mm. And at that age, you know, it's, it's a bit shocking when people hear that. It's like, oh my God, seven years old, you wouldn't even know what alcohol was. And I didn't. And so I'd kind of tell some of those stories about how my childlike logic just put together that when I saw adults in my environment that were unhappy, they had this magic water. And when they drank the magic water, they were better. So, you know, of course that made sense to me. And um, over the next, you know, seven, eight years into my mid teens, I developed a, a really raging addiction to alcohol. Um, was still at that point, still too young, hadn't been introduced to drugs, um, street drugs, um, but you know, really was getting good at becoming deceptive and manipulative. And again, you know, this is all very childlike, very innocent. I didn't mean to um, become a drug or alcohol. Um, addict. I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt other people. I didn't mean to steal from people or lie to people, but it was just all that this is what the disease unfolded. And I really wanted to tell those stories from the early days to show people whether you're familiar with addiction or not, just how powerful that disease can be and that it is not a choice or a matter of will. When somebody is struggling with an addiction, that is not, um, you know, poor choices they've made that they deserve what's coming for them. You know, it, it's probably an, something that is, you know, that many, many layers be below what we think or see on the surface is where the disease lives and it controls behaviors and actions in ways that are most of the time incomprehensible. So I really wanted readers to, to get my firsthand experiences and to not hold anything back, to say, this was the truth. This is what happened. And mm -hmm. if it helps you understand somebody else in your life that may have made some poor choices um, you know, due to addiction, then you know, hopefully, hopefully my story can help people understand or even understand your own struggles if you're grappling with why you've done some of the things you've done. Yeah, so like you said, you started off with, with alcohol addiction and then you got on to drugs. And, and what happened within your life once you were on more on the drugs sort of path? Yeah, that was scary. Um, but like with anything progressive, mm. you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to just stay at alcohol. I, I wanted I was curious. I wanted to see what was next. And, you know, when I got into, um, so I grew up in the US and so we had primary school, then middle school, then high school. So it was like those in-between years of, of grade seven and eight. And um, that's where I really started to become introduced to the world of, of drugs, you know, marijuana, but then getting into some of the, um, the harder drugs, the, the cocaine and the methamphetamine. And the, you know, a lot of the pull for that is alcohol was hard to get. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and as a, a 12 or 13 year old, 
uh, I couldn't get a fake ID because that just, I, you know, couldn't pull that off. And, you know, trying- well, Obviously in America, the legal age for alcohol is 21. 21. And it's very hard to look 21 when you're 12. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All the makeup in the world. And yes. But it, so in, in convincing adults to assist you by buying you alcohol didn't always work either. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I kind of thought, well, as the opportunities were limited, there was more of an opportunity with the illicit drugs. So I started hanging around people who had access to the drugs. And I, I never, you know, when I, when I look back and I think of, of kind of how how the journey went, you know, how the, the water flowed down the river, you know, I didn't really choose the course. It was just more like, okay, well, you have, you know, I'd like to go down that way, but it's, it, you know, that there's a, a dead end there. So I'm going to change direction and go down this way and see what happens because there's no more, there's not as many obstacles. And however, my, my ability to, to function, to live and even to stay alive. Um, it was it was a completely different game going into illicit drugs. And then even the obstacle of funding that I had to um, start doing some dealing to support my habit. And, and again, in the book, I tell some horrific stories, um, you know, stories that I really had to ask myself, do I want other people to know about this? Um, there's one in particular, if, if, if you've read it, you know exactly which one I'm talking about, yes. um, that is, it just shows how our morals, our values, and who we are can become so hidden, mm. and, and that the power of shame, and where, you know, what the shame of the addiction can do, and, and there was a point, I won't give away the story, um, yeah. but but there was a point where I thought, I, you know, I, I can't imagine feeling any worse about who I am or any lower than I am at this moment. I was, I felt despicable. Yeah. And that was a big turning point. And that was the point where I asked for help was when I saw what the drugs were doing to my core values yeah. and who I was. Yeah. So, so you got some help, but, um, that was still a, a struggle within itself, really, wasn't it? As in, you know, once you got help, then you sort of also um, got into the area of once you were better, for want of a better word, um, like I said, we, we don't want to give the story away, then you had some issues with food and that sort of thing as well, didn't you? And, and dieting and that sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, yeah, so I did get treatment. I did get sober and yeah. I was really connected with the Alcoholics Anonymous community. And again, this was in the States. It's my experience um, with AAs mostly in the States. And it was great. A wonderful environment of people yeah. from all walks of life. It was so much fun and probably some of the, the, the best years of my life were in those rooms of AA, but yet but still this, um, you know, the disease of addiction can manifest itself in so many ways. And so while I was a teenager, I was, I was sober from drugs and alcohol, but the addiction started to come out um, in food. So I, I kind of channeled my energy into um, wanting to control my, my weight and my food. And I, 
Um, I was diagnosed by several doctors with eating disorders, especially anorexia. Um, But I, I never fully bought that that was true because I knew I wasn't giving them all the information. So they were making a diagnosis based on what I was telling them, but I knew I wasn't telling them the truth. Right. So I never really, I I never accepted that I had an eating disorder. Um, But it was just the disease that was looking for an outlet. And this is something I've learned over the course of my life, just kind of fast forwarding a minute and we'll go back is that the disease is always with me and I cannot get away from that. What I do now is I have very, very, um, good self-awareness and self-honesty skills. I know where my yellow flags are and I know where I need to, if I'm going down a certain path that might lead to um, making bad choices, I, I know now where I need to stop and take, you know, take that look in the mirror and go, no, no, Nikki, you are not going down that path because you know what that will lead to. So, you know, a lot of my teens and twenties was kind of discovering um, what limits I could push and which ones I couldn't. So, and and that's interesting that you say it's something you, you, you have to live with all the time. I guess um, people kind of think, well, once you've conquered it, then you're done kind of, but it's, it's basically, I'm guessing in a way, almost a choice you have to make every day. For me, it is. Yeah. And, you know, other people's experience, um, and I've I've heard a lot of people say that they suffered for a particular amount of time, maybe it was um, in response to something traumatic that had happened or a crisis in their life, and they they started to abuse um, alcohol or food or, or, you know, something else, Um, and then that they got through that crisis, and then they're, they're, they've been able to regulate and be quite normal. That's not my story. My story will never be like that um, because I have tried in every way conceivable to drink, act, um, and behave like other people. And, and it's, it, you know, I know at my core and my seven-year-old self knows this too, that I am an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I have the disease of addiction and it will take on many forms. Mm-hmm. I just have to watch out for what those look like. So do you feel that it was something that you were probably born with within you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's lots of ideas about addiction and how it starts. um, And a lot of them are linked to trauma. And, uh, you know, even in in this isolation that we have all been in uh, for the last year and a half in and out, that has been a um, a kind of a breeding ground for people starting to struggle or maybe for the first time in their life starting to struggle or struggles are re-emerging because of the trauma that we are all feeling um, being in this crisis. Um, However, there's also the idea that there there could be a genetic component Mm -hmm. and that addiction can be something that's just in your DNA. And that I think is more true for me is, you know, I, I was I was brought up in a loving family in a beautiful part of California. There was no trauma in my early life that I can recall. Um, I think it was just there. And as soon as the, as soon as alcohol got into me, it ignited that gene or that, you know, part of my DNA that was saying, oh, hello, there you are. <laughs> Come join us. We're having a party over here. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's interesting, um, and and I believe that it is certainly partly genetic as well. I, I certainly would believe that. Um, 
Now then you also got addicted to painkillers, didn't you, when you had a, an accident? Yeah, yeah. Um, early 20s. So I actually, um, I, I had relapsed from alcohol about 18. So I, I was sober from around 15 years old to 18. Um, and then I, I convinced myself that I probably didn't have a problem. It was just, I was young, I was experimenting and everything would be fine now. Um, and so I, I started drinking again at 18 and fast forward a few years to, I believe I was about 20, 21. And, um, I had a fall, um, on some concrete stairs outside. It was alcohol related. I was very drunk at the time. And, and I ended up breaking my back in a couple of places and so that introduced me to prescription painkillers. Mm. And that was in 2001. Now the, the opiate crisis in the US, I think we, we all know has been a huge, huge thing. Um, and it's, it's mind boggling how out of control the opiate crisis got mm. uh, and still is. Um, Australia also has a, a lot of issues with over, um, overused and misprescribing pain medications. But I'll tell you, haven't lived in both countries, the US has got it sealed up. They, yeah. It is huge. Um, late 90s, early 2000s is when uh, you know, the drug companies were really pushing doctors saying these, you know, these medications are not addictive. They brought yeah. in you know, really, really strong stuff yeah. like the yeah. only used by terminally ill patients and they were handing it out you know, just handing it out, just writing prescriptions. Um, it was, it was as easy as walking into a doctor's office and saying, I've got pain here and here. And they just write you a prescription with six weeks. Uh -huh. And then you go next door to the doctor down the hall and say the same thing. And they write your prescriptions uh -huh. repeats. And I started to treat that like a game. Uh -huh. Um, and it, and it was, you know, legitimate, the injury in the beginning, um, there were no red flags to that because, I had a legitimate injury that required some, you know, medical pain relief. But then my, you know, my cunning addictive brain took over. And um, once I was, I was healed and able to walk again, and I just kept going. And then I started expanding that repertoire to other types of drugs and getting, you know, really knowledgeable about um, the, the drugs, their side effects, their interactions and things. So I could go into other doctor's offices and speak very intelligently about these particular um, prescriptions I wanted them to write. Mm. So, you know, I, my drug seeking behavior um, kind of led the way there for many years as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, and, and, and like you say, quite scary how easily it was for you, how easy it was for you to be able to do that. In, in reality, really quite easy. Um, so obviously you're, you're clean now and, and all good. Um, you're a runner now. Would, have people ever said to you, which, cause, because I hear it a lot that you've just replaced one addiction with another. Yeah, I do. I hear that. And <clears throat> I, and I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. it used to bother me because I'd say, no, it's not, it's not the same thing you don't understand. Um, but now I, I think, okay, well, that's, for people who, who have not had firsthand experience with addiction or even firsthand experience being a runner or an endurance runner, you know, it, it's, it's really hard to understand. So the way I, I say it is this, you know, am I, well, actually, let me back up a bit. So 
when I, and I'm sure we'll talk more about what, yeah. how, how and why I started running, but um, not long after I began running, I, I started really being attracted to the longer distances. And, and that was just my interest. It wasn't, I wasn't as concerned with my speed. I wasn't as concerned with PBs um, or, you know, I didn't have any interest in doing shorter distances to, you know, at, at higher speeds. I just wanted to go long and slow and just really enjoy it. And I just liked the freedom that running gave me and, and the ability to just quiet my mind down. Yeah. And so when I, you know, did my first couple of marathons, I thought, all right, I, I want to just explore this world. What's this ultra marathon stuff people talk about, you know? And, and then I did learn that, that there are actually quite a few people um, who are in some sort of an endurance sport who are in recovery as well, that it's kind of something that, um, you know, it's, it's almost very natural for people who are comfortable at extremes to then seek out other extreme things that mm-hmm. people who maybe people who prefer more moderation in their life wouldn't go to. Um, so for me to, to take an interest in ultra running made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, and when people would say to me, are you just, a, are you replacing exercise or running with, you know, is this just becoming your next addiction? Do we need to worry? I think that a lot of my family said that, do we yeah. need to worry about this? And, and so I describe it like this, you know, I am a person who's comfortable at extremes. Um, I, I have done very extremely dangerous things and extremely bad things. And, you know, and I've also done really extremely wonderful and positive things. I love jumping out of airplanes. I love roller coasters. I love bungee jumping. I love having, you know, spicy pepper competitions, you know, who can eat the most jalapenos in five minutes. Um, you know, and I love anything that other people consider extreme. And that's just, that's not, to me, that's not addiction. That is just comfort in being an outlier. Yeah. So when I think of what drove me to drugs and alcohol, it was perseverance. Yeah. It was perseverance. It was going, it was having the drive inside of me to go harder, faster, and longer than anybody else. And I did that. I, you know, I, I was very good at outlasting people. So drinking games or collecting them up prescriptions on a Tuesday afternoon or something, but it's that same drive, that exact same drive, that determination, which is, which carries me to the finish line of, yeah. of a race um, yeah. or, or even sometimes to just to the start line, you know, that yes. harmony. That's very true. Yeah. So did you want to tell the listeners how you did actually get into running? Yes. Um, so I, when I talk about sobriety, you know, there were, there were many times where I was in treatment um, and I don't usually use a lot of years or exact numbers because I, I, I just try to keep it about the story, not the detail. Yeah. Um, but several, several years ago, I, I had probably my worst relapse ever. And there was a turning point there um, where, and, and I, I, that's not something that I need to talk about, but it is in the book if you're interested. Um, but it was a very big turning point where I just, I finally surrendered and I had never surrendered before. Um, 
And when I finally let go and said, you know what, I am an addict and this is not going to change. I can't force myself to be different because I'm always ending up back in the same cycle. So mm-hmm. finally accepted it and moved on. And for the first few years um, of being fully sober and, and released, um, you know, I know that sobriety is a daily management. It's something I always have to be aware of, and but I accept and I'm cool with that. Um, and I, and most most days I'm absolutely fine. Um, but I also can be really angry. Like my baseline emotion is irritability. It's, it's where I'm at most <laughs> of the time. And, and I think because I, I feel emotions very deeply, I feel love very deeply. I feel anger very deeply. And um, I needed a way to kind of expel these, these really heavy emotions um, to get them out of me because it was just, it was, I was feeling anxious and I couldn't sleep and I was having, you know, um, my mind would just go miles per hour. All the things that I would then reach for a drink to calm down, calm down your mind, be able to sleep. And so not having that option, not having the drink or the drug to go to, I realized, okay, I need to do something else to control my emotions because they're driving me insane. Yeah. Um, and so a friend suggested exercise and I thought she was crazy. In fact, she's probably no longer a friend either. <laughs> um, I, I'd always, I'd always been very small and very thin, but never fit, never fit never in my life didn't do any sports growing up um and yeah was was not ever fit so you know it was kind of a crazy suggestion to try exercise but then I started to think about the times where I had accidentally exercised you know like running for a bus that you're about to miss and kind of how cool that felt you know the the endorphins and the um that feeling of exertion um and thought, yeah, I actually like that feeling. So decided I'll give it, I'll give exercise a go. See if that can help me regulate these, you know, crazy emotions that I feel too much. And I tried um, all the things at the gym, you know, stationary bike, elliptical trainer, eh, not so much fun, didn't really grab me. And then a personal trainer that I was talking to, um, she suggested, oh, you know, do some weight training, but then on your car your cardio days do some running <laughs> she's crazy <laughs> crazy I, I don't want to run in fact I'm not going to run like that just sounded like the worst possible thing I could do was run. <laughs> but in in this conversation with the personal trainer she said how far can you run and I, yeah about 10 k's and then I as soon as I said that I thought you moron <laughs> never run 10 k's in your life nor do you want to <laughs> what are you doing? And, uh, anyway, I think I, I, after that day, I kind of had this little, you know, the seed in my mind of, I lied to someone and said, I could run 10 K. All right, girl, well challenge yourself. See if you can do it. And so I, I tried, I thought, all right, well, here I go. And I tried the couch to 5k app first. And after a few weeks when I was able, and, and at this point, you know, as I was just starting to run for the first time ever, I was about to turn 40 and I was a smoker. So mm-hmm. I also thought, well, I want better emotional regulation, but I'd also like to get off the cigarettes too. So, you know, there was an extra 
impetus. And once I got to 5K, I thought, all right, it's pretty cool. It's still not 10, but it's five. So now keep going, see if you can get to 10. And I thought 10 wasn't going to be any better than five. Five stopped. And <laughs> I away. Um, and it was great. Pat yourself on the back. You can run 5K. Yay. But all I thought 10 was going to be was just twice as much pain. And so I started building up, you know, six, seven, eight. And then there was this, this one day, this one day that changed everything. I was coming back. I I'd left my apartment, gone about four Ks, was on the return. So I was approaching my apartment at about eight Ks. And that would have been the farthest distance I had ever run was at eight K. And as my body kind of wanted to pull to the, the side of the road where my apartment was, my head said, no, something feels different. Keep going, explore this, what's going on? So I passed my apartment and just kept going. And for the first time, I felt real freedom. Mm. My head stopped, all that chatter between my ears stopped. And all I could hear was, you know, that my footsteps and my breathing. And I just, I went with it. I went with it. And I thought, wow, I've never experienced anything like this before. Mm-hmm. And I went for about another 6K. So wow. yeah, did 14Ks accidentally. <laughs> and then went, wow, like, wow, I really, really love this. And it changed my perception about running completely. Yeah. And what I needed to, to have that change of perception is I needed to go long enough until all of the chatter in my head stopped, all the excuses, the reasons I wanted to quit, all oh, my back hurts, my hips sore, you know. What, what did you call it in the book? A, a negative tape? I think it was. A... Yeah, my tapes. Yeah. Like so, that because it's so, I mean, I still get that even now sometimes, you know, the starts of a run, I get that, you know, too. So I bet, I bet so many people do. Yeah. So yeah. What I, what I write about is I say, I, um, every time I decide to go for a run, so, you know, the alarm goes off and I decide I'm going to go for a run. My brain puts in a cassette tape and it's called my anthology of excuses and reasons to stop. (laughs) As soon as I press play on that, it's just this loop of, oh God, I don't think I slept enough. I've got so much to do. Oh, I've got a meeting at nine. It's raining outside. Actually, it looks a little windy outside. <laughs> oh, hurts. And well, I think you've been listening to my head too. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think we all have this. We yeah. all have our own version of it. And and the and it, it it to me it's like it's a it's a challenge just to get out yeah. the door, right? Yeah. Um, and especially during this pandemic, you know, my motivation has been like a wet sandbag, yeah. just trying to get out the door. So I get out the door, I get out the front door, get, you know, take my mask off, get all settled and, and, and then keep going. And it's probably about, I'd say three, four kilometers at the tape place. And, you know, gives me all the reasons why I should stop all the reasons why, oh, you know, you really, you should go, you know, oh, you had a recovery run yesterday. Maybe you should just do some yoga and Pilates today, blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And, and then at some point the tape runs out. Mm-hmm. And I use that analogy of the cassette tape because, you know, it, it wouldn't 
have the same impact if we put it on shuffle or okay. repeat, okay. you know, it's like, but I think we're all old enough to remember what the cassette tape was. It, it had exactly, yes. yeah. a wheel and when I got to the end, it stopped. Yeah. And so, and, and I also saw a, a running meme recently that was perfect. It said, never trust the first mile. Yes. The first mile is a liar. Yeah, I, I like that one. It's, and it's so true. It's so true. Except sometimes it's more than a mile, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, um, <clears throat> your book, How to Be a Badass, Navigating Your Road to Self-Mastery. Can you explain the title? Because the title is very important. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> So I am a speaker by profession. Yeah. Um, so I, I specialize in emotional intelligence. And so for many, many years, I have been in front of groups of people, workplaces, leadership teams, co conferences, seminars, um, you know, all sorts of environments speaking. And I love speaking. I love talking to people um, about you know, emotional intelligence and self-mastery and, yeah. and um, you know, and, and how they can be the best version of themselves. And quite often people would ask me, so, you know, what's your story? Um, you know, how, how did you get into this field? Um, what do you do for resilient strategies? And, and I, would, I would clam up. I didn't want to talk about myself at all because the thing is, I have built a career in corporate HR and learning and development. And only in the last few years have corporations been open to mm -hmm. yeah. you know, people disclosing mental health conditions or things like addiction. Um, but for many, many years, I kept that very silent. I, I would I will help you and I can talk to you about you and I can give you lots of great advice on things that you can do, but I cannot be honest with you about who I am because to me, that could have been career suicide at some point. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't want anyone to know. And so then I finally, um, I broke away from the corporate world at, right about the start of COVID. It was a, a perfect opportunity for me to say, okay, you know what, I've, I've hit my ceiling um, I've hit my head against the corporate ceiling too many times. Yeah. I now want to branch out and I want to start talking about the things I really want to talk about. I still want to talk about emotional intelligence and self-mastery and whatnot, but now I want to talk to you about what that means to me and how I got there, because I think those are the really inspiring stories. Um, you know, we don't follow people because they say, I have really cool material. You should follow me. Yeah. We follow them because we connect with the person yeah. and then we start to realize what, how much cool material they have. And so I, I, I wanted to do that a bit differently. So I decided to upskill my professional speaking skills to become a you know, world-class speaker. And in a lot of my early keynote addresses that I was doing, I was really focused on wanting to, to inspire um, people and be a message of hope and resilience. And I, and I wanted people to feel that energy and feel that passion and leave that room that day, feeling inspired and motivated to make positive changes in their life. And so I, I talked about being a badass because mm. in my mind, a badass is someone who is the best of the best at what they do. And 
I, I've always felt that way about that word. Um, you know, I, I, I hold it in a very positive light. So when I talk about being a badass, when I'm giving myself some positive self-talk messages, they're all like, come on, badass, you got this. Come on, you got this badass. Um, and so getting up on stage and talking about being a badass for me wasn't uncomfortable, but it wasn't received as well as it could have been. So some people would really latch on to my message and yeah, we're badasses. We got this. Any challenge, bring it to us. We got this. We're badasses. And, and then 80% of people or so would, okay. And they would leave, um, or possibly not even come to the um, event because they didn't like the title, How to Be a Badass. They took offense to the name right away. Yeah. And so with some really good feedback, I, I learned I had to do something different. I had to stop talking about badass as a word yeah. and break it down into what I think a badass means. And so for, for the next several months, and especially when I was out running, because that's when I had that time in my head. And once the tape ran out, then I can yeah. actually start thinking productively. Um, and I would use that time just doing those long K's and thinking about, okay, so when I am a badass, what do I look like? What am I doing? Mm. Who, you know, who comes out um, when I feel at my most powerful? Yeah. And so I was able to turn the, the word badass into an acronym. Mm-hmm. So the B is brave. A, authentic. D, direction or purpose, purpose and direction. A, action. S, self-love. And S, positive self-talk. And all of those things together, when I am all those things, I am a badass. Mm, I love that. It's it's excellent. It's really good. So um, we're not going to be able to have time to go through all of them, but I thought maybe we could talk a little bit um, about them in, and, and how it also might relate, relate to, you know, ultra runners. So often, you know, um, ultra runners are stepping up distance or whatever in a race. So how do we be brave and do those sorts of things? How do we um, do things we find hard? How do we do things we find hard? That's such a great question. That's such a great question. Um, I don't think it's as hard to step out of your comfort zone as it is to stay in it mm, and yeah. then deal with the what would have happened yeah. if I had done this. Um, a, a friend of mine, a mentor of mine says, a should is a desire that never got actioned. Mm. So when I think of, when I think of bravery, when I think about you know, my impetus in trying um, to, you know, move into the the ultra ranks um, is, okay, what's the worst that can happen? You know, I might see a snake. That's possible. In fact, quite probable. Um, Is that the worst that's going to happen? Well, I might twist my ankle or or break my leg. Okay. Is that the worst that's going to happen? And, you know, I kind of take myself through that process of what's the worst that can happen? And then imagining that happening and how you deal with it. And, you know, and then um, say, well, there's probably going to be other people around me. Help wouldn't be far away. You know, I've got ways of communicating. And, and you know, and then I think um, 
you know, for me, even resigning to the fact that I didn't finish the RT, the the race we were talking about, that I didn't finish it. That was tough for me because I think that was the first race ever that I had not finished it. But I quickly, very quickly, like that day before I went to bed, um, reversed my thinking. So I, my oh. thinking wanted to go to, I failed. I, I shouldn't even, this was too big. It was too far out of my comfort zone. What was I even thinking? You know, I, I stopped all those and just went with, okay, you know what? Yeah, you saw a snake. Uh-huh. You weed yeah. your feet a little bit. That's okay. That, that's the worst that happened. Did yeah. you know yourself? No, you didn't. A couple scratches no problem. And, and I, I think that that, that really helps me to, you know, to, to kind of talk out, allow your mind to express its concerns. Yes. Um, but then, um, tell it when to be quiet too. Yeah. So. Mm, that's good. And, and in regards to say self-talk, um, I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I hear a lot of runners and, and sometimes even myself, you know, oh, I'm so slow, I'm not a real runner, uh, you know, and all the, the negative comments that you hear a lot of runners say, how do we work on our self-talk? And what effect does that have? Self-talk is one of the most powerful things mm. that, it, that, that we could ever do. And I'm sure you, your listeners are nodding up and down, they know that. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's an amazing, um, it's an amazing motivator to stop. Um, and I don't know, I don't know where a lot of our self-talk messages come from. If they come from maybe people in our family, you know, our, our mothers, our aunties, or people who, um, you know, didn't want to see us get hurt. So they cautioned us. Uh, not just about, you know, our rough and tumble playing in the backyard, but against, um, you know, our dating choices, yeah. uh, people that we chose to have in our lives, um, or as we were getting older, you know, driving a car for the first time or leaving home for the first time, you know, lots of cautioning messages mm-hmm. we have carried with us all our lives growing up. Um, but where does that real fear come from? Because any negative self-talk is fear-based. And I'll tell you something, um, you know, one of my biggest fears has always been rejection or not being liked. Yeah. And, you know, even with, even with my book, making the decision to publicly share my story of addiction, that was big. It was really big for me. That, that was the first one. That's very brave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Very brave. <laughs> it was. Um, and And I really had to um, go to battle with my self-talk on that because there was a lot of those cautioning messages in my head saying, you know, if you do this, you have no control over the outcome. You have no control over what other people, whose hands it gets in, how it's read, you know, uh, what the response is. You can't control any of that. So just don't do it. It's not safe. And, you know, and I had to, I had to battle each and every one of those thoughts um, and, you know, it's, it's been the same thing with career choices or, um, you know, relationship choices. I have had to really go deep and, and hear the message, hear what the, the self-talk is saying 
and then say, okay, where is it coming from? Mm. In the process, I um, learned a lot about core values too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I say um, over the course of your lifetime, a lot of things will be important to you, but what you want written on your tombstone, those are your core values. And I use an exercise now when I, when I run groups on core values um, about saying that um, not being aligned to your core values is like wearing somebody else's wet bathing suit. Mm, yeah. And just imagining that feeling of wearing somebody else's wet bathing suit. It, you may not say anything. You might just be in private discomfort, but it feels icky and it's not right. And, uh, and, and so I, I often use that analogy of when you get that wet bathing suit feeling, that is your body telling you that something is not right. You're not aligned with something. Um, explore that, explore that feeling. Mm, and, that, and that's very good advice. Yeah. All right. And um, so how do you think um, putting it all together, how can people take action on your book then? Oh, I'd love, I'd love to share a copy with you of my book, um, which is for sale on my website, NikkiLangman.com. Um, but I, when people say to me, what is the best compliment I can ever receive? It's when someone says, Nikki, you've inspired me too. Yeah. And that is, that is the purpose of everything that I do is to, to be a voice um, of hope, of inspiration, to be a voice for people who are struggling that maybe are choosing not to share their voice right now or haven't found their voice. Um, you know, to, to runners who maybe are, are, are like me, I'm still very much a baby in the, in the running world. Um, but I, I've got a start, I've got a few races under my belt and I'm, and so, you know, maybe there's those people that that sounds appealing, but I don't, you know, I don't want to be the, the newbie on the block. Um, I think my book has a lot for everyone in there. And if it doesn't speak to you, it might speak to you about people that you love and care about. Um, so I would love to share my book with you. Um, and yeah, it's. Oh, look, I have to say, you know, upon reading it, um, firstly very well written and, and and easy to read as in it flowed really well for me um and I'm just like I've gotten through your life story and I'm getting through um I think I'm up to now um yeah it's self-love and and I like it that you're saying self-love is not being a narcissist um you know which is a very important thing um you know to make that distinction I'm really you know like I'm really enjoying how it, how it works through those and, and some really relevant examples and those sorts of things. So it, it is, I would say, very helpful. And I would even say helpful for ultra runners for within their, their ultra running and not just their life in general, but even just if they're focusing on just their running. So, you know, and, and, and you were saying, as you said, you're a newer runner. Do you have any more race plans for next year now that we can hopefully race again? <laughs> hopefully, yes. Uh, so I am training right now for Melbourne Mara. Um, which was supposed to have been last Sunday, yeah. but uh, hopefully 
I think it's what December 11th is, is yes. the new date. Um, and yeah, and then I, I want to do two bays and I want to try the Archie again this year. So well, I, I will see you at two bays because I sweep two bays every year, but hopefully I won't see you. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> now that I know what a sweeper is, I'm yeah, yeah, see you at the start. <laughs> yes. No, and I'm sure you'll 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 be fine, you know. Um, now, I'd just like to ask a couple of random questions, not to do with running, just, just whatever. I don't okay. know, lucky dip. So, first one is, something I like about weekends is, finish that sentence. <laughs> Time to run. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping to say that because that's, <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, next one, what do you do when you feel lonely? And this is probably quite relevant with uh, lockdowns and those sorts of things. Mm. When I feel lonely, I do a couple of things. Um, I go through photo albums oh. um, and I look at, you know, photos of, of myself or, you know, with people that I love that I haven't seen in a while. And, you know, I, in fact, a while ago, I, I told myself not to do that anymore because I, I felt that reminiscing might lead to me feeling depressed right yeah. but I feel it actually has the opposite effect it's actually looking at those happy memories has reminded me that what we're going through right now is only very temporary yeah it's a blip on the radar and you know that you know we we will get through this we will see the other side very soon and um, yeah so those and um, those happy memories just help me feel more connected yeah. uh, I like it too so yeah. I'm I'm a very big heavy metal fan and I'm also equally an opera aficionado oh really there you yeah. go depending on the mood it's either Pavarotti or Motorhead <laughs> wow that is eclectic <laughs> um last one what would you like to be really good at I I want to be really good at influencing people yeah. And and I, I I'm on that path, but it's something that I know that I will always continuously get better at with practice um, speaking. And but you know I think that I I know I've got a great story. I know I've got a great message, and that's one thing that people who would like to be speakers or are speakers struggle with is that they don't feel that they have a good enough, powerful enough message to share. And one of the things that I like to do in my messages on stage is, you know, is to tell people it's not, it's not about how big the story is. It's not about how big the beast that you have had to overcome is. The, 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 the bravery of the warrior, the bravery of the person who stands up and keeps going no matter the odds, that is the story. And some of the best stories I've ever heard were not tales of child abuse or um, drug and alcohol addiction or you know, a, a shark attack or things like that where something happened to them. Um, it, it's about how many times that fighter got up and said, I will not let this break me. And I want to continue getting better at being an influencer like that where I can reach people everywhere. That's awesome. Well, your book, I am sure, is, is definitely a part of that. Um, so can you just tell us, the listeners again, 
where they can get your book? Yes. Um, so it's called How to Be a Badass, Navigating Your Road to Self-Mastery. And you can get it off my website, which is NikkiLangman.com. That's N-I-K-K-I-L-A-N-G-M-A-N.com. And I will set up a special discount code. Um, oh, okay. So um, what should we call it? Peak um, Endurance? Peak Endurance. Peak yeah. Endurance. And we'll do 25% off. Oh, awesome. Thank okay. you so much. Well, look, I'll put the link to your podcast, uh, to your what am I saying, to your website in the um, podcast show notes. Um, and now if people want to follow you on social media, where can they do that? <clears throat> Facebook, LinkedIn, um, Instagram. Yep. Those are the three I use the most. Yeah. I'm just starting to play with TikTok. Watch this. <laughs> You're brave. <laughs> <laughs> I am. It's the first letter of the badass. <laughs> That's, That's right. You got it. And, and I guess... You know, you got to keep finding things to be brave about, don't we? Yeah. The thing about bravery, though, and, and it, I do talk about this in that chapter, is it, it's we often think of bravery as being physical bravery. Yeah. So, you know, acts of heroism or things that where, um, you know, injury or death could have been a possibility. And we think of those things as that's what brave is. Um, but there are many other ways to categorize bravery in fact I, I list six there's social yes. bravery, emotional bravery spiritual bravery intellectual bravery and moral bravery yes yeah. yeah um yeah so I remember um reading through those and, and loving saying that that because you know I've heard the saying you need to do something that scares you every day and say like, holy moly I'm going to run out of things but that really clarified for me that it doesn't have to be, like you said, a heroic thing <clears throat> or a physical thing. It can be um, it can be anything, really, anything that puts you slightly out of your comfort zone, I guess, or as a challenge. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I and I often use the cowardly lion in examples yeah. that, you know, he was so consumed uh, and ashamed of his lack of courage that he wanted to go to the wizard and have the wizard give him courage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was, he was so consumed about not having it that he com was completely oblivious to all of the brave deeds he did on that road to Oz. And when he finally got in front of the, the wizard, the wizard said, you are brave. You mm -hmm. have to see it. And I think that that's probably true for most of us. And um, maybe all of us in some ways is that, um, our self-talk gets in the way and tells us messages, you know, gives us negative messages and that prevent us from seeing our own bravery. Yeah. Maybe it was a phone call you made that was a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. No, no, I love, I love those examples. So, yeah, that was great. All right. Well, thank you so much. And that's awesome about the discount. Um, so, listeners, get on that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And hopefully we'll, you know, and if people see you at Archie's or, or Two Bays, go and say hello. Yes, please do. Please do. I'm always looking for more runner friends. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. And we'll chat to you later. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. 
Wow, what an amazing story she has, right? Don't forget to go to her website and use the code Peak Endurance to get 25% off this amazing book. The link to the website is in the show notes. Now, if you think you have an interesting short story to share, email me, Isabel, at peakendurancecoaching.com.au and you might end up being on the podcast too. Now, if you got value from this episode, I would love it if you could share it with a friend, either on social media or directly. But if you do share it on socials, don't forget to tag me so I can thank you. Have a great week of running and training and hopefully racing. And just in general, have fun out on the roads and trails. Till next time.